it's towards the end of February and we've already got a season that's finished to talk about. So on the Formula Scout podcast this week, we are discussing the stars of the Formula Regional Asian Championship and the UAE Formula 4 Championship. Both finished, well, only a few hours ago, really, from, from, from the time of recording. Recording on a Sunday afternoon, which is um, certainly different for us. But we have new champions to talk about, uh, familiar names as well, um, in, in the world of single-seater racing. So I suppose, Roger and Ida, we should probably kick off by talking about Formula Regional Asian. Um, obviously rebranded from F3 Asian um, for, for this year. Um, and there were, there were changes sort of preventing the, the experienced Formula 2 runners from, from coming across and, and, and taking part in it. So we had a, a nice mix of um, drivers racing in, in Formula Regional, drivers moving up from, from Formula 4, and the odd experienced Formula 3 runner in there as well. Um, but we had five races, well, five race weekends in, in just over a month, so it was pretty frenetic um, from, from start to finish. Exactly the same in, in the UAE F4 as well, um, with uh, fun in Abu Dhabi and Dubai, different layouts in Dubai. Um, and we had a very different... Um, entry list from from weekend to weekend making picking out some of the the, the stars a little bit trickier um, and and different drivers just performed better on different weekends as well somewhat curiously so we're going to jump straight um, straight in and I suppose we should probably talk about the the champion first Arthur Leclerc um, highly consistent throughout the season uh, did exactly what he needed to do to to, to win the championship um, his first championship in junior single seaters, if I'm not mistaken. And he was um, you know, somewhat comfortably the the um the, the champion, but it wasn't like um he totally dominated the field. One of the, if not the oldest driver in the field, um, throughout the, the whole season. So either I suppose we we shouldn't necessarily sort of downplay his achievement as as such. Um, but it, it's a well, it's quite simply a case of job done for, for the younger Leclerc, isn't it? Pretty much, yeah. And I, I think, um, which wouldn't have been clear if you're watching the races all the time, but Arthur Leclerc had um Pedro Matos as his engineer, so he had the best engineer in junior single seater racing doing his car. So, if anyone was going to win within that Prima team, or sorry, within the Mumbai Falcons team, that is technically Prima, um, then it would have been. Arthur so certainly job done because he had the kind of the engineering talent and the mechanic talent behind him to win the title mm -hmm. and and Roger the the super license points that, that comes with that um uh, certainly handy for him um but what did you make of 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 his performances throughout the season he didn't really sort of make too many mistakes throughout the year up until the bizarre last race of the season where half the field seemed to be spinning off in the in the opening um few minutes yes exactly I, I think that was that was the only error that i can remember from his season uh, <clears throat> i mean i suppose crawford uh, also proved that you know dropping back from from formula three doesn't necessarily guarantee that you're going to be the star in in the field obviously leclerc had experience in in a regional car but um a couple of seasons ago obviously but uh no i think you know he needed it as a confidence booster and <clears throat> you you both know you know we we had long discussions about where to put uh, leclerc in our top 10s for formula 3 and our top 50 overall and and got some criticism on social media for maybe being a bit too optimistic with uh, our assessment of leclerc but I, I think you know we felt the talent was there definitely seemed to be a confidence problem as much as anything last year so hopefully this is this is a boost i mean he didn't luck into the wins um and uh, you know you can't really argue with with four victories so you know well deserved probably others missing rounds wasn't the main factor obviously in in him him taking the title his, his main rivals did did all around so um yep strong solid performance and bodes well for formula three mm -hmm. 
certainly he'll be um well he, he's got to be a championship threat this year in in fi formula three um being the the retained driver from from the Premier lineup for um from last year with his teammates moving on to, to formula two um but i think sort of just just closing on on the clerk it's um obviously really important for him to to get a win uh, you know a championship win under his belt for him to to, to build up that confidence as, as as rogers um pointed out already but um really it all you know it's the sort of thing that a driver can can use uh, you know a winter championship success to to build on going into into their main campaign um obviously we, we saw guan yu joe win this championship last year um, under a different guise with different you know situation as well with with who could race and who couldn't um and he obviously used that to to um, propel himself in a position where he could land a formula one drive um and so forth so it, it's the sort of thing that the clerk needs um for sure um he's a, he's a nice kid um so it, it's nice to see see him come out on top um but um it, i think the fact that he it is a case of just getting the job done. It wasn't a case of going in and, and dominating. It was a case of going in and landing those all important supplies and points and and so forth. And at the end of the day, you know, you can't really argue against the driver if they've become the champion. Um, you know, it doesn't matter if you win by one or one hundred points. Um, it's still the same number of supplies and points at at the end of the day. So there is that. But the the driver who um, perhaps gave him the, the the most sustained run, if you will, a bit of a surprise as well. Pepe Marti, um, a driver I hadn't honestly seen a huge amount of coming into the season, but um, he was properly rapid, uh, finished runner-up in the in the championship. So, Ida, um, were you surprised by by Marti's performances, and um, what does this mean going forward for the for, for the future? I, I wasn't surprised per se, because if we look at like all of his results, it wasn't like he was going off and winning a load of races. He, he did only make the podium a few times, but it was the consistency that, that got him the title to runner-up spot. And the thing with Pinnacle Motorsport as well is that is a team that can bring a driver almost from nowhere, drop them into that car, and they suddenly become title uh, standard. Liam Lawson, I think, won three races in 2018 that just he'd never been to Sepang he never driven the former regional and then suddenly he was unbeatable uh Pierre-Louis Chavez obviously last year like his whole reputation got changed by how he performed in that car so to then have uh Pepe Marti there this year I think you kind of expect almost that whoever was going to get that seat was going to do a good job of it um as for him like individually from speaking to engineers they he isn't like a you know, like a once in a generation talent, people aren't talking of him in that that way, but they are saying like, oh no, he's a pleasure to work with. He's a he's a good young driver. Um, we expect him to kind of do well in F3 because of how quickly he's adapted to working with this kind of professional setup in F4 and former regional. Um, but pace-wise, here or there, you know, I, I, I'm not sure I can really say unless he's in, you know, a, a back of the grid car, how he's actually going to do in, in FIA Formula 3. Uh, but certainly a confidence boost for him. And also he's one of those drivers whose his, his English is very, very good. Um, but you don't realise it because he's racing in a series that doesn't get too much English language coverage on like TV and stuff. So, uh, yeah, I think he's got everything going for him to, to have a very strong 2022 if the car is there and FIA Formula 3 to actually be scoring points. Yeah, it, it's incredibly important to have the the car in a position to to, to score points on a on a regular basis in, in FIA Formula Three. But um, Roger, just quickly coming to you, what what were you able to 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 make from from watching Marty this season? Yeah, similar similar to you, it, it, it wasn't somebody that I've seen a lot of in uh, in Spanish Formula Four in in the past. Obviously, name came to attention when he. You know, was uh, signed up for the Valencia Formula 3 test and obviously the, the Formula 3 drive. I think it's only him and Behrman who who stepped up from Formula 4. I've missed somebody. But uh, I, I suppose to me, obviously the consistency, but, you know, Delano Van Toff, his teammate, was, for me, certainly the more highly rated going into this championship and he, he pretty well uh, put him in his place. I think every... 
pretty well every every race was was comfortably ahead so that that definitely speaks volumes um <clears throat> i think definitely must be must be a name to watch for for 2022 clearly the step up in power suits him so it's another level again to to, to formula three um and and worth watching what he what he can do when he when he moves up mm-hmm. yep certainly and and if, any driver called pepe uh, I, I think is always um good to have on a on a, on a grid um one driver who arguably could have had a, a better championship run if things went a bit more his way was dino Boganovic. Um, a, a run towards the end of the season of um, results that were well point, pointless results essentially um, really hampered his chances of, of, of um, toppling Leclerc but is a driver who didn't quite get what he needed in, in Formula Regional European last year but um, you would have thought off the back of this that he would have had a bit of a confidence boost um, you know knowing that he can mix it with with the top drivers in, in this championship, you know, a very, you know, well mixed um, group of drivers as well. So Ida, do you sort of agree with that assessment or have I gone completely wide of the mark as usual? Um, I think I'm in the uh, small camp here of not being a person who rates Tina Boganovic that much. I think he takes far too long to get on top of the machinery he has and what he needs to do with it. Um, and almost by fluke, he ended up going second or third in Italian F4, and, and similarly in Formula Regional, he did actually score enough points that when Prima did have the pace, he was actually doing very well. But I think with this campaign, although he, I think it was the third round where he won and he came third as well, he then followed up with 15th. There's still like too many chinks in his armour almost to be this kind of top, top line driver in Formula Regional and, and Formula 3. So I'm quite glad that he isn't going up to the next step and and this has almost been like a I would have initially said it would have been a sequel to last year's Formula Regional Europe but now I'm saying it's more like a prequel to this year's Formula Regional Europe for both the team and and the driver obviously he was with Mumbai but it's essentially the same group of core staff mm-hmm. yep moving moving swiftly on um let's talk about Gabrielli Mini um another driver who um, didn't quite have things necessarily go go all his way in 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 Formula Regional European last year, but he did take a you know good brace of wins in in this in this championship. Um, missed a round as well, so so Roger, um, it was a you know really solid, consistent campaign. I thought from from many, um, especially from from what I saw of him, he won um really good race um, as well at. Oh God, I can't remember now. Um, but he, he he certainly um performed uh quite quite well consistently. Um, I thought so. What did you make of the the um the Italian? Certainly, I mean, this weekend he he's been particularly strong. Um, difficult to know where to rate high tech against uh, the other teams obviously particularly Mumbai Falcons stroke stroke Prima <clears throat> to be honest I was probably expecting more of him I think uh, you know he was seen as a title favorite last year in 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 Europe didn't didn't quite uh, come off again he was um, battling his his rookie rival from last year Hajar in the, in the same team and particularly today in the races so i mean good good performance definitely up at the front um said so how you how you benchmark high tech against the others but uh <clears throat> i think i i would have been, been expecting him to 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 be mounting more of a challenge to leclerc to be honest mm-hmm. yep uh, let's talk about um, a few drivers who were only around for, for a couple of rounds, but I think certainly made a, a really strong impression. Um, Sebastian Montoya, I need to call him Juan Pablo there for a second, obviously. Um, and Adrian David. Um, I, I thought they were both really, really strong. Um, I was very, very impressed with Montoya in particular, given how how difficult he seemed to find winning in, in Italian Formula 4 last year. Um, so, Ida, what, what did you make of, of, of those two drivers in particular and just how... Um, talk us through sort of the, the idea of 
drivers only rocking up and doing a couple of rounds in in this championship as uh, as well because we we saw the the lineup changing from from weekend to weekend uh, quite regularly. Um, yeah, so there's there's kind of four reasons I'd say that some drivers do it. One of them is to retain rookie status and whatever you're going to do next. If you do four rounds, it tends to be the case that you then lose rookie status. But I think actually in one of the series, the rule book says it's if you've done three rounds prior to the 1st of January. And because this series is taking place in February, I'm not sure if, um, you know, if they are going to retain rookie status or not. Rafael Kamara is one of those drivers, which I've seen a bit of discussion online about whether he will be a rookie um, or not, because he technically done no racing at all prior. And now he's suddenly done season in f4 uae so for formula regional it'd be if you're going into the european championship do you want to retain rookie status there like we had um isaac hadjar and gabriel mini were the top two rookies last year and hadjar did formula regional asian but he only did a bit of it um so that's one strategy the second one is because a lot of the teams are actually on kind of shutdown not necessarily shutdown but like in january there's less going on and it's harder to you know, make visits to the factory and the workshop and, and go for, look at the former regional car. Um, so you may go, oh, well, if I can only visit them halfway through January, I can then only go to my sponsors and say, this is what the team can offer. I'm impressed with the team doing this. And by that point, you're looking more towards the end of February to get to kind of instigate those deals and get them across the line a month later. So teams actually go, well, you know, unless you've decided you're going to do formula regional six months beforehand, we'll have these cars ready for the final two rounds or at least these drivers who are once for rookie status have only signed for the first three rounds so these two seats will be vacant for the final two rounds of the season so there's that aspect as well the third one that reasons do people do part-time in this series in particular is it's in dubai and it's in abu dhabi and people want a holiday and it's kind of i wouldn't say it's cheaper but uh, <laughs> if you want to go away for like four weeks you can do two weeks of racing and two weeks of holiday uh, and that's perfectly suitable and fine for a lot of these rich racing drivers who seem to have all the money in the world when they need it um so there's a big appeal to that and if you want to avoid like peak holiday season as well which would be just after christmas for the europeans um then going slightly later in the month uh, so end of february which is now and last week that's going to be slightly cheaper for them as well so it's a good time to get a holiday in um the other one as well is situations change very quickly um, during winter series. Even in Toyota racing series back in the day, you'd have drivers sign for the full season and then deals would uh, basically collapse because in I know in the UK, it's our tax year here. You've got a lot of um, new deals being signed like in the global supply chain of everything. Um, and particularly when you're coming through the Middle East, actually, that's in the last year and a bit proven very uh, important for distribution um, value. But essentially, if you have all your sponsors and they go, well, we, we know in like six months time, we are going to have enough money to put forward for your Formula Regional Europe campaign, then you can actually get your Formula Regional Europe seat now. But if you're not sure you're going to have the budget to do the full Formula Regional Asian campaign on top, because the companies that are sponsoring you, etc., they haven't got basically all their numbers back uh, from the previous tax year, from uh, latest contracts they've had, you essentially just go, can I have the car for two weekends? And you do that. And often is the case, and we've seen it with the likes of like James Wharton and that in Formula 4 UAE, they've signed a deal and then actually the money's been there and the results have been there for the people supporting them to cough up a bit more and go, you know, we'd rather keep our, our money not spending it now, ready for later, because you never know what can happen next. But it's still an attractive thing to actually put you in a car for another weekend, have you winning with our name on that kind of thing. Uh, so those are generally the reasons why people do part-time campaigns here. But and I think this is a key point. It doesn't devalue the championship. I was looking earlier, um, Euro formula last year, I think only six drivers in the top 10 actually completed the full season here. It was seven of the top 10, even though like we went into the season, knowing most of them would be part-time entrants. Um, so I think that does show that the good drivers do still do a significant amount of the racing and it doesn't devalue winning against like a depleted opposition or, or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's why it's important that there are, you know, really good 
analysis um, podcasts and so forth to to tell you who performed well on particular weekends and 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 so forth. But yeah, just on on Montoya and David quickly. Obviously, they they both won races, and I think they they certainly made a good impression in, in the time that they were there, even if it was um, a little bit earlier in the campaign. And um, quite a lot has happened since since then. Um, Roger, let's let's talk a little bit about uh, two of the Red Bull juniors, um, Isaac Ajar, um, the new recruit, and and Jack Crawford, um, who whenever I seem to be watching races, seem to be having some sort of technical issue or or something like that. But I'll get on a little bit um, to technical issues a little bit afterwards. Um, what did you make of of that pair in particular? I think there'll be a lot of um, eyes on on those two in their main campaigns for 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 twenty twenty two. So. Um, getting their, their year off to a really good start would have been important but things didn't always seem to be going quite right for them although for for Hajar it, it did come good in the end yeah so as as I already said I, I think probably you know Crawford was I guess the the, the disappointment of, of the season or of, of this campaign having done done all the races and even though he doesn't have experience of the regional car, you know, s- stepping back, he's got pretty, uh, he's got quite a lot of experience of other machinery in Euro Formula and Formula Three, <laughs> and uh, with the sort of second Prima supported team, uh, I guess um, we would have expected him to be nearer the front. He did seem to have have a bit of bad luck, but didn't didn't seem quite able to to extract that last little bit of pace and to. Uh, <laughs> to, to get up the front and to be challenging challenging for wins. Um, Hajar, as I said, it, it depends partly how you how you benchmark high tech against against those other teams. And certainly, I suppose until this weekend, I, I'd had the feeling though, even even allowing for Mini missing around, that Hajar had had the edge on on Mini. That may just have been the races that I spent more time watching, but. Uh, Felt it, it just edged edged Mini over over the season and uh, had uh, had obviously some also some bad luck with with retirements. So uh, I think he obviously stepping up to 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 Formula Three. I think he's a, he's a fast fast developer. So I think he'll he'll feel that that was a successful successful campaign, particularly jumping up to third third place in with today's victory. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, did anyone else stand out for you this season who who you felt um, really deserves being being brought up, Roger? I think probably the only the only name that I could think of would be uh, another driver that I think only did two rounds, which was Bortoletto. Um, I guess uh, for for race or three Y technology with race. Um, I mean, clearly the team. Once David and, and Bortoletto left, then the team seemed to be to be struggling. Whereas they've been running at the front with with those two guys around. I think he he ran Hadrian David reasonably close in in the same car, and I think David, as we've touched on, was uh, you know must must start as as probably title favourite in in Europe, assuming he comes back with with race. So uh, I think Bortoletto probably. On the sort of negative side, you know, apart from one one weekend, essentially Paul Aron um, struggling as as well, and and uh, you know, think that was somebody that we probably expected would have been a, a title contender and and didn't really feature strongly, certainly in the first three three rounds. Mm-hmm. And Ida, who who else do you think deserves a, a special shout out? Um, for, for their performances this season? I'm going to go very left field and go Ayato Iwasaki, who is the Japanese licensed Filipino, or the other way around. Uh, I can't remember which one it is now. Uh, he was one of any three drivers to actually finish every race this season. The others being Arthur Leclerc and I think Thomas Ludi from the Masters class, who was obviously so slow he wasn't fighting with anyone. Um, so he helped that. Iwasaki, I think at the start of the season was like four seconds off the pace in testing and throughout the campaign just got more experience quicker 
um, pretty clean. I think there was actually one spin of note, but clearly it didn't impact too much because they finished every race. Uh, the best result was 11th place, so they didn't actually score points. Uh, but when you look who was just ahead in the standings, like Oliver Gove, Nicola Marin and Jelly, um, drivers who are actually aiming for FIA Formula 3, uh, and Arasaki's come straight from karting and, and from karting scene that isn't maybe as competitive as Europe. Um, I think that's very impressive. Um, and also Pasma and Belov. Um, Pasma is a bit like a, I don't know, almost like the Felix Rosenvista Formula Regional now. Like I feel like if he goes back and does a full campaign, he's now going to dominate it like Rosenvist in 2015. Um, but he was on the pace as soon as he came back halfway through the season. And Mikhail Belov, uh, Evans GP as well. Belov's going to MP Motorsport. Decent backing behind that drive for this year because of his performances from last year. So two drivers who I think there's no money behind them, but they've shown, particularly in this series, that results can get you somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I'll, I'll quickly touch on one driver who um, I think there was a lot of um, sort of eyes on coming into the season. That's Chen Bollock Bashi. Um, and well, his campaign was pretty much over before it started um, with three retirements in the first three races. And then um, the car can be repaired and then just called it quits after that because there was no chance of securing any any meaningful super license points. So that was um, a little anticlimactic. Um, but the, the reason behind um, that, that situation was um, a stall on the grid. And that's something else I do want to touch on briefly. That's... Um, the, the reliability of the cars, reliability seemed absolutely shocking this season, um, especially compared to the all-new second-generation Formula 4 cars. Um, but I, I can't recall seeing so many times, uh, you know, a regional car, you know, stalling as it did, and there were so many times where they just completely conked out. So, um, like, uh, uh, you know, it's totally inexcusable um, for, for it to be happening. So so regularly and to have so many different issues as well and on a on a regular basis you know it's not a particularly fun car to necessarily watch although the racing was generally pretty good in this championship um and you know it's not a particularly exciting car but for, for reliability to be so bad as well was um quite quite remarkable um other real point really i want to bring up like i thought the driving standards were a bit sort of patchy at times but uh, that's what you would probably expect in a in a in a grid of 30 formula regional cars um i know that there was a clip being shown around on social media um in the early stages of the championship of a, of a collision happening but that would that would probably happen in in pretty much any other championship with with how that particular corner is designed in in abu dhabi um the the infamous now infamous turn nine i think it is something like that um anyway let's move on to formula four um f4 uae um they had 20 races because they had four races a weekend um so there's quite a bit to to talk about really with that um but it was charlie verts who, who took the the title um didn't win the most races um took a very sort of stealthy route to the to the title if you will but that achievement absolutely should not be downplayed um we don't know what his main campaign is going to be in 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 2022 um as yet but Ida, um you know i always like talking about second generation and third generation drivers and 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 so forth and um i i thought it was a you know Again, like job done from from Verts, um, but you know he, he was he was pushed by by plenty of his um, plenty of his peers. Yeah, and I think the fact that he hasn't got a twenty twenty two program confirmed yet might be um, like the the title might literally be job done and getting something across the line for that because all of his teammates I think had um, their kind of F four programs this year confirmed. It, um, Aidan Neat, though, going to British F4 rather than Italian F4. Um, but obviously, he's a second-generation racer as well. Um, Antonelli, also. Lawson, also. <laughs> Stenshawn, also. <laughs> it's just, the list goes on. Um, he only won two races in the end, and both were on the Dubai Auto during Grand Prix layout, which is, 
it may not look much from like when you're watching it on TV, but it, because of the temperatures they're racing in, it had a big difference on like tire wear and stuff. And it really came down to who could do the best job in keeping the car kind of alive in races. And Aiden Neat did a lot of battling with Verts and Kamara um, and ended up kind of not looking after the tires. So this is where Charlie Verts kind of came to the fore that he had that ability. And potentially that's something from his experience in like rallycross and, and various other things he's done that he's picked that up. Uh, he was very consistent as well, so that always helps. And, and I think in a lineup where there was a lot of egos almost, uh, and I'm not saying you get like egos in a bad way, because all of, of all the drivers I've spoken to, they've all seen you know very nice young young guys. But um, you know that's a lot of drivers who have a lot of hype behind them. And Vert arguably went in with the least and came out on top. So to keep his head in that kind of environment as well was a very good job. Um, so yeah, job done entirely by him. Mm -hmm. Roger, got anything else to add? <clears throat> I suppose, firstly, I'm old enough to remember when his father was the second generation driver. So uh, uh, I guess, uh, as, as Ida mentioned, also the, the rally cross link takes you back to, to his grandfather. But um, I, I think, you know, we probably shouldn't completely forget the trophy race from the Grand Prix support, which, uh, you know, obviously wasn't a full field, but um, that was at Abu Dhabi. So, you know, he did win, did win that as well. Seems, seems eons ago now, uh, but uh, obviously didn't end up being part of the championship. But, uh, you know, I agree with what's been said. I think uh, it, it would be fantastic to see him get a full season in, in Formula 4 and to take on... Uh, some of these other guys we're going to talk about in in a second and, and I think definitely deserved it through his uh, consistency. Formula 4 is quite often about staying out of trouble as much as being quick and uh, a lot of very enthusiastic people, a lot making their single-seater debuts, so staying on track and not getting taken off and not getting involved in those incident, incidents is, is, is a pretty crucial skill, so... Um, yeah, it's very, uh, very well done. And, uh, you know, I think it was on, on the pace, um, you know, throughout the whole championship. So, so deserved championship winner. Mm -hmm. Yep. And his dad was pretty handy in championships and uh, particular long races, which included, well, which featured, you know, looking after the car and consistency and so forth. So um, it does run in, uh, in, in the family genes. Um, but, Rafael Kamara absolutely deserves um, a, a mention because he, he missed the first round due to illness, um, but, you know, rebounded really strong. And at one point it did look like he was going to be in, in a position to, to snatch the crown despite missing those four races. That's a, that's a big bundle of points he, he would have missed out on. So, Ida, do you reckon that Kamara could have taken the crown if, if not for... For, for, for missing that opening round in Abu Dhabi and what did you generally make of his season because when he started winning he pretty much didn't stop yeah going off his average points scored he would have so he actually scored 210 points but did 16 races at 20 so turning that into 20 would have made it 262.5 which would have put him seven and a half points ahead of Charlie Burt's um, Andrea Kimi Antonelli only did two rounds, though, 117 divided by eight times 20, 292.5. So uh, Kamara had the second highest scoring average in the field, which for the least experienced driver in the field going into round two of the season, because obviously even the total rookies have done round one, um, that's pretty impressive. Obviously, he did do a fair bit of testing last year, mostly with Cram Motorsports. Um, and he was racing for Prima. So I think it was good preparation to maybe be with a team where there's not much uh, like pressure on at Cram to do all that kind of testing at Mugello and all the Italian tracks, and then to come into this big, bigger environment at Prima, which is running a lot of cars and a lot of big talents, um, done an exceptional job. I'm not sure who his engineer was, which would be really good information to know, because I think that you know, would be very interesting to find out how he was feedback wise and coming into this season late because he didn't do the trophy round like I said he didn't do round one uh, so it'd be nice to know kind of how he actually worked um, as a single seater rookie and I think his racecraft as well was just exemplary so sometimes him and Aiden Neat got a little too close um, but I 
when we spoke to them, they basically said, oh yeah, Prima told us we could do that. So they were pushing it, they were enjoying themselves. And ultimately when he did go against Neat, he won, I think like six out of the seven battles they had. So he's, he's definitely got talent. And I'm now not surprised that when we did our top casting thing last year and he was in it, but he wasn't included in like our Instagram post on it. And we had Brazilian journalists and people from Brazil like complaining, being like, how dare you not include him? He is the future. He will be the next Brazilian F1 driver. Um, and seemingly the hype was, you know, worth the while because he did an incredible job in the UAE this month. Yeah, absolutely. One to, to, to keep an eye on um, going forwards. Um, Roger, I suppose we should talk a little bit about about Neat as well. Well, we, we've already touched on him, but um, he had a you know a very solid run. Um, did have a, a few prangs here and there, but I think you, you'd expect that from from the majority of these drivers. But Nikita Bedrun as well, um, I, I thought was a driver who, who showed a really good turn of speed at, uh, at various points. What did you what did you make of their performances? Yeah, so I mean, Neat, I think as you said, was was very consistent i mean he's definitely you know not going to get the headlines which which will certainly go in terms of the performances to to kamara and and wharton and and Wurtz because of winning winning the championship so i think he's he's going to end up being somewhat ov- overshadowed but um it was you know impressive consistent um deserved deserved the third place in bedrin um obviously coming in as as a you know double rookie champion from from last year in italy and and germany with a new team i'm not sure how much is is taken over from from Mucca with the with the phm team but uh you know in, a new team on the grid it took them a while to get going i think the first the first two two rounds, um, he won at the end of the second round, but it, the first round was certainly you know a bit of a bit of a struggle. But by the end, he was he was clearly clearly on the pace and and one of the one of the fastest. I, I mean, I do. I, and last year, well, the German rookie field was sort of non-existent. The Italian had a lot of drivers, and it's quite difficult to rate that 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 rookie rookie field, but. Um, and, and to sort of say what was the ultimate potential of of, of Bedrin, as was neat as neat as well. But you'd you'd have to see Bedrin as as being one of the the, the favourites for whatever he does uh, in in twenty two. Yep, certainly. Um, another driver who 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 missed around but was incredibly impressive in 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 the first Dubai round was was James Wharton. Um, he won, I think it was three of the races there, and the only one he didn't win was the reverse grid race. So, so I'd uh, talk about Wharton and also why why his season may have tailed off a little bit after after that weekend in particular. Um, well, I guess because the others are getting more experience. Um, he came in with the might of the Ferrari Junior team or the Ferrari Driver Academy. Um, he'd done a lot of work with Prima over the last year, so he's he's had all of that support. Um, so it was no surprise that he did win. I think he was against a bit of pressure because his reputation's kind of taken a knock in the last 18 months, despite joining Ferrari. Um, so that certainly pushed him there. And like Neat, he got in a lot and a lot of on-track battles and simply the tyres just gave up, you know, half the time. He was qualifying in the top three or top four and would be there until like halfway point of the race. And then once you get wheel to wheel, the, the car is not enjoying it around Dubai Autodrome. Wharton did the first two rounds and then he missed the, because he was only supposed to do those rounds, hand over the car to Antonelli and then Antonelli hands it over to Lawson. Um, but then he kind of had the money and the, the need and the want to do further, but he skipped the first of the rounds on the Grand Prix layout of Dubai, which was actually quite a big disadvantage when he came to it the next week, because obviously new car, so people don't really have too much data anyway. And you needed a setup that was going to keep the tires alive for the whole lap and therefore for the whole race. He'd missed that week. So when he came in, that was his only like uncompetitive week in the series um, because he didn't have that experience. But as we'd seen, you know, two weeks prior, he could uh, win a lot. And I think that's going to set him up well for the rest of the season. And then the fact that he ended the season with a victory. So he won both at Dubai and at Yas Marina, despite a very difficult start to the weekend at uh, Abu Dhabi shows that he had the the pace kind of everywhere I think had he had the same kind of um, 
like preparation as everyone else and he'd done a full season very much could have won the title I, I have no doubts about that I think he would have just got stronger and stronger but having that break in the middle disrupted things to the point where it made Dubai Grand Prix too quite difficult and just a tricky start to the Asmarina weekend meant he'd already lost his chance to be in the top four on the points mm-hmm. yeah but the the highs were were incredibly high that's that's for sure um a couple of other drivers i think deserve a, a mention alex dunn and uh to send a poem for Pubisak. um done one one of the most bizarre races i've ever um watched um that's that's for sure um in we'll, we'll come in we'll come on um talking a little bit about that um shortly but um we've already touched on on antonelli but roger um we've spoken quite a lot about him and I, I I do sort of don't want to, you know, pile on too much pressure on the, on the youngster, but he, he seemed incredibly sort of relaxed when he was at the Mercedes launch um, last week. And, um, you know, when he stepped in, in, in place of um, uh, Kamara at short notice, um, he was absolutely um, magnificent. I thought. So what did you make of, um, of the Mercedes junior? Well, I think everything everything that we'd expected f- from him. Well, we'll see. He, I think he was originally only down to do to do three ra- to do one round, two rounds, um, and then then stepped in uh, the last minute. Um, but uh, yeah, everything that we we expected. I have I have to say that the potential for Italian Formula Four, particularly for twenty two and Antonelli versus Camara. Uh, with Wharton and and others alongside, looks like being a potential kind of season for the ages, which which normally when the expectations are that high means that it falls completely flat and uh, one of them runs away or gets injured in the first race and then misses the rest of the season or something. So I don't want to jinx it, but uh, you look at it and think uh, those must be you know, two also from their their karting careers, their karting rivalry, that must be, you know, a, a fantastic season ahead of us. So touching wood and uh, crossing fingers and it, everything in advance. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I spoke to him at Monza last at the end of last year, and uh, I guess he was fifteen at the time. You know, comes across as incredibly, incredibly professional. Uh, knows what he wants to do. Is it's very good at explaining. You know, talking about the race, talking about the car, talking about you know what he was aiming to get out of it, and you know seems to be at such an early age, uh, phenomenally impressive. So um, very very excited about uh, what this season's going to bring. Mm-hmm. Yep, certainly. And just like with with Formula Regional um, Asian, I'm going to ask um, both of you for for any other standout drivers. So either let's go let's go to you first this time uh, which other drivers do you think really deserves a, a, a mention for for their performances Ivan Dominguez uh, the Portuguese driver at XL Motorsport XL is normally a team that dominates this series and wasn't really clear you know why they weren't doing that this year despite literally being the first team to get this car um etc Dominguez got pole race free of round four and previously like appeared in the points two times i think and really not showing anything like that so quite impressive turnaround there i imagine there was some kind of engineering breakthrough because he then got a podium in the final round as well and he jumps up to 16th in the standings from like 27th so a huge huge uh pull up there um other than that looking further down the order i i thought Robert DeHaan's worth mentioning. He he didn't score any points, but clearly he is a good driver and and looked like he was doing well in like test sessions, qualifying practice. But then when it came to races, didn't score any points. Uh, and also, and I am going to butcher this. I apologise in advance. Um, Nandavud Biram Burakadi and Ismail Kuja Akhmadul Gudjev. Um, those two were the the Thai and the Uzbekistani at XL Motorsport. Not much experience of anything like this. And both of them, you know, we, we see how embarrassing certain drivers are at Formula 2 level who shouldn't be there. These two drivers, you know, came in, people were a bit like, well, looking at their karting results, they're not very good. But 
they actually kept themselves out of trouble. They sometimes, you know, fought for higher positions in the, in the, in the top 20 um, rather than the top 30. And in the end, they finished, they, sh- they finished ahead of um, Victoria Blockina, who is actually quite a highly rated Carter. So they did a decent job given their experience. And also, I think the people of Uzbekistan are going to be quite happy about, you know, having their own Formula 4 driver now. Yes, absolutely. And, the you know, more representation, you know, in terms of different nationalities and, and so forth is something that absolutely, you know, should be celebrated. So in a, in a way, um, it's a bit of a trailblazer um, because Uzbekistan doesn't exactly have a rich motorsport history, um, to, to, to say the least. Roger, um, I'm not expecting you to, to have any names to butcher as such, but um, did, did anyone stand up for you in, in UAE F4? I was trying to think of ones with with slightly easier names to to pronounce, but uh, I, I was I was also going to go for Ivan Dominguez. But uh, I think Martinio Stenshorn, I um, obviously came in highly rated. I, th- I thought looked looked impressive as as a rookie. Um, was often at the front in in testing and and qualifying, and the uh, you know, race weren't that strong really in in Formula Four. Last year, he he was comfortably ahead of his his teammates. So, um, you know, I thought, and obviously, again, gets a little bit put in the shadows by Kamara and Wharton in the rookie standings. But I thought uh, he looked definitely a name um, a name worth following. And uh, Riniacella had a, had a couple of of storming drives up the field, particularly at the, in, I think in the last round, maybe in the one before that. So. Uh, but again, was was somebody that didn't uh, didn't trouble the scorers, as, as they say. But uh, yeah, no, some some impressive impressive names. I, Christian Ho as well in in the last round or towards the end. Um, I think that was his single seater debut, if I'm if I'm correct. And you know, came in halfway through, um, which is which is not easy to do. And, and looked on the pace. I'm not quite sure what happened um, this weekend, particularly in the reverse grid when he was on. On, on pole, but um, so it was a bit unfortunate there. But uh, again, you know, with uh, with the junior team backing, but looked uh, looked certainly a name worth following for sure. Um, and I agree with with all of those, and I don't have any others to to add. So there is that. Um, one other topic I do want to bring up uh, with Ida in, Ida in particular because you've been following the tumultuous introduction of the second generation Formula 4 cars um, very much in depth. And I want to get your, your thoughts on, on what just basically what we've learned from the five weekends of racing um, about this new car and, and what it might mean for the various Formula 4 championships that will be running the second generation car this year. Um, I think we've learned a fair bit. There's quite a few drivers who, because I didn't watch all of the races, but then if I was like browsing for Instagram or whatever, I'd see a lot of the drivers post. And it seemed to be stalling was still a big issue. Um, What tends to be the case is teams will get a bit like um, adventurous with basically the throttle and uh, mapping and things like that. And, And then that's what causes a lot of stalling to occur, even though the driver can do it themselves. They can mess things up. It's often the teams at this early stage will just try experiment with things and then it goes wrong and then you don't have it as an issue anymore. That's what I expect to be the case because most of these teams only did F4UE to get experience of the car, to try and push it here because they essentially want the bigger results in in Italy and and places like that. So if they're they're making mistakes with their fifth car here, then that's less, uh, less of an issue. Um, it looks quite good for racing, which I was surprised by, because normally once you add downforce to a car and weight to a car, it does the opposite. Uh, but we had the joint closest finish in Formula 4 history, 0.003 seconds, I think. And we're going to do a feature on the top 10 closest finishers of all time. Unsurprisingly, most of them are in Formula 4 Southeast Asia. Um, then there's also, with this new car, because I think Paul Aron actually did the first dev running and a few of the Prima, it was calling upon people who were basically local to Verano, uh, the test track, and it tended to be a lot of drivers with Prima experience. So I'm not surprised that then Prima has been the team to beat. Of course, they were the only team that was able to fly their car out as well. So they got a bit more just in the garage time with it as well. 
um, and they just ordered a lot of cars. That always helps because uh, Mumbai Falcons initially was supposed to be with Prema and then ended up going to XL Motorsport. I'm not quite sure why that occurred, uh, why they got the technical support from XL instead. Um, but, you know, there, there's been a lot of questions unanswered here. One of them, of course, is what happened to Carlin? They, they said they were going to join with two cars and they said, oh, no, we're not announcing our drivers yet. We're not announcing our drivers. And then they never turned up and we don't know what happened there. Um, some of the teams actually, JHR is a good example, had a, had a chassis in Britain as well, and they were doing shakedowns there. I, I, high tech, high tech was doing shakedowns there as well, Argenti. Um, so you had this kind of comparison of data because the engine temperatures in particular, when you're doing middle of the day Dubai and middle of the day Abu Dhabi is way, way higher than what you can be doing in a sort of rainy Red Bull ring in September or Fruxton in May or stuff like that. It's very different climatic conditions and it means you're actually putting different kind of wear on the parts as well. Um, so you do need to have this kind of, I've forgotten the word now, when you're doing like a test, you have like a zero thing and then you you do other results based off that. Um, so with this season, obviously it's a lot of racing experience. We can see how it is wheel to wheel. We can see what it's like with I think they did use Pirelli tyres uh, rather than Gitty tyres. So um, I'm not quite sure on that one because I think Formula Regional uses Gitty. Um, hence, they have a bit more racing than other regional series. Um, so from all that, you get a lot of good data, I think, for drivers um, in particular. But for teams, they're going to have to basically do everything again once they take the cars back to Europe. Um, different series also have different tech regs anyway of uh, what bits you can use. And even stuff like exhaust and stuff, there's different rules, different series. So that's going to be a big learning process. It's going to take a lot of time. But the whole reason they've got like five or six cars each is so they can then you you six times faster to, to learn something and then apply it. Um, so that is the plan there. Uh, the only other kind of concern I would have after this five-round season, um, and in particular, we saw... You know, in Spanish F4, we've had MP Motorsport dominate in the last few years. And Italian F4, we've had the, the Rick tax, because uh, Rick was the engineer of Vesti, Hauger, Edgar, them, and everyone who won in ADAC and Italian F4. So we have that tax there, but obviously VAR do actually rival Prima more often. Here, I didn't see anyone beating Prima regularly, like um, on particular like outlaps and qualifying and stuff. Um, Prima seemed to be the team that they didn't have to like go, oh, we needed the, the perfect clean air, we needed this. Their drivers were still in the top five, even with like a compromised uh, qualifying setup and things like that. So I am concerned that Prima is going to run away with everything once they return to Europe. That's the big takeaway from F4 UAE so far. Mm -hmm. And well, I mean, I mean, it just shows how, how good Prima is as a as an operation um regardless of really of what championship it, it's in that's why when when I, I i last year when i was talking about like the disappointments of the year i joked that prema had to be the disappointment because they didn't win everything um unlike unlike in 2020 but i, I think the final point from me that i want to bring up is um not so much driving standards but um making mistakes in certain situations such as red flag situations and something we 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 saw earlier on in, in the season um bizarre moment when you had just one car on the grid um in the form of Alex Dunn as um Antonelli um drove everybody down the pit lane during a red flag when he shouldn't have done because it was a straight red flag not safety car then red flag um so it was a bizarre sort of situation but I mean it's a, a an honest mistake for him to make and um uh, and for all of the other drivers to, to follow him as well means it's a very simple mistake to make. And um, we had the bizarre situation where 27 drivers picked up a, a penalty or whatever it was. But the, the weirdest thing was that it happened again um, in, in, in the final round. Um, and uh, it, it was utterly, utterly bizarre. But um, it, it's wrong really to, to really criticise the drivers too much for... For this, they may not have received the right information from from the teams and 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 so forth. And the the you know we we know that sporting regs can be complicated and 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 so forth. So, um, you know you know these drivers, 14, 15, 16 years old, they shouldn't really be be you know being 
slammed so much on 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 social media and in particular on youtube chats and and so forth um which is a bit sort of um concerning um from 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 my point um it's even more concerning when you've got people in the in the industry doing doing that kind of behavior as well so i'm going to call that out here and now um but just generally either last word on on driving standards as well because we saw generally quite a lot of penalties being handed out um and yeah sort of thing that you could argue is to be expected when you've got a particularly um you know youthful crop of drivers brand new cars as well so you know people don't necessarily know how to drive them 100 100 of the time and 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 so forth so really you know that they're going to learn they're going to have to learn at some point in their career and what better place to do it than in dubai and abu dhabi on a on a nice hot february afternoon yeah yeah absolutely and i think looking at british chef four because that's one where you do have a lot of penalties and a lot of close racing uh you'd maybe average one penalty per race for 15 cars we have 30 cars here and there was at least two penalties per race a lot of them were kind of track limits and with Abu Dhabi in particular, you've got a chicane, which is a very obvious one for cars going side by side. Um, and also like incorrect procedures. There was a lot of that kind of stuff, including obviously the red flag one uh, for people maybe lining up quite uh, to like to the right or to the left of their grid box, um, doing things like that. So I think it was a case of everyone being very rusty and then and we can say this quite comfortably that F4UE is not the best at communicating things. They did not communicate penalties effectively on occasion. Uh, they did not communicate results. They did not communicate um, changes to, to things. Um, and I, I don't know what the... By the end of the season, I don't know what the way of doing things were because their main office is basically in like Hong Kong, I think. So they were operating in two different sides of the globe at the same time to run the championship rather than having everyone on site, which is what, from my experience of working with racing series, we would have everyone on site if you're doing this because it made things easier. Um, but they're having the decision makers for like um, organization and stuff over in China. So it was a, a needless complication that, that did make things a bit more difficult. And of course, when you look back at the start of the season and the trophy round, this is a, something that we did briefly cover, but we weren't sure how much we could really talk about it. Essentially, Prima did fly their planes over and a lot of the other teams said, well, our cars are coming here. Can we organise test days here and here and here? And basically, there was, from what I understand, there was very little work done by... The, the championship to make that happen because obviously they're not based in Dubai they're based on in China so it took a while to actually get the teams to convince them like oh well Premier's going to have a big advantage unless we can get test days Dragon Racing which is a local team they hired out the track privately every Wednesday or Thursday and that ended up kind of being inherited as a test day um, for, for each F4 round and obviously there's formal regional sessions as well that wasn't originally supposed to be the case it was literally going to be I think it was free practice one qualifying warm-up session for like 15 minutes and then the races um for all five rounds that was originally the plan so i think a lot of the teams are happy in the end that that did get changed and they did get additional mileage but i wasn't sure you know what the tire usage was for those events um for the test you know if it was free free roam or anything so um It'll be interesting to catch up with a few of them and see exactly what was happening there on the organization side, what they got out of it. And I think what their drivers got out of it as well, because most of them are going to be wanting to sign drivers for the upcoming European seasons. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I think that's a, that's a good point to, to wrap things up. Um, as mentioned, we, we have got a, a fun feature on the closest um, finishers in 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 F4 and uh, so forth. So do keep an eye on the website for that. But this isn't the the, the first podcast that we've got of the week. Um, we, we we slacked off a little bit last week. Oh, I say slacked off, but, you know, just getting everyone together and you know issues like that. But we have got a road to indie preview uh, coming very very soon. Um, I'm personally very excited to see the the road to indie as a big fan of IndyCar, of course, as as everyone knows. So um, do keep an eye out in your in your 
podcast platform of choice or on the website or on our social medias for for, for when that drops um also means that i've probably got to write season preview for it um but yes we've also got plenty of other features up and down the website uh for for everyone to to read and of course we, we will have all you know our, our reports and and everything from from the road to indy um which kicks off uh just next weekend at st petersburg so um it, it does start to feel like all of the the racing is gradually coming back and um in particular you know that you know this is really the the big winter um bonanza if you will uh, of championships and just like that, that's come and gone in a blur and we're we're going straight into the the proper you know proper meat of the of the year and uh, there's a there's a lot of it so we're, we're going to be properly active um boss uh ida's going to be properly active cycling from circuit to circuit but i'm going to be um well typing away a keyboard i suppose a lot between now and november december ish so do keep an eye on the on the website for for everything that we've got coming in the next few days um, and of course, on our, on our Road to Indy season preview podcast and everything else. Um, and that brings an end to, 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 to this week's show, I think. Um, and yeah, we'll be back soon with another Formula Scout podcast. <laughs>